0: You guys want to open your Bibles to 2 Kings, that's where we'll get started this morning, 2 Kings chapter 4. James read to us a verse from Ecclesiastes 9, and um, while I'm not going to refer back to that, it, it sort of sets the stage for the theme uh, that we're going to talk about this morning. Um, you know, the first part of that verse says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Um, and I know I'm taking that verse... Out of context, uh, Ecclesiastes has a very large context, and even in chapter nine. Um, but that's the idea that I want to talk about: is doing something with all of our might, or doing something to the fullest extent uh, that we can. And I think there's, there are a couple examples um, in Second Kings that we can see. Um, you know, the extent to which you do something matters a lot of times. Sometimes. Not, but a lot of times it does. So if you think, for example, um, throwing a cup of water on a blazing house fire, right? Um, The house needs water on it, but a cup of water is not the extent to which it's needed, right? Uh, There's there's the problem of size. Uh, You can say you helped put out the fire. That's true. I mean, that was some water that wasn't there before. And wouldn't have been there without you. Uh, but that extent uh, really didn't put out the fire. And, I mean, we understand that, right? That's kind of a crazy example. Um, you know, the reason that the extent sometimes matters, uh, or a reason sometimes it matters, is because of expectation sometimes. Now, if there's a 110-year-old woman throwing a cup of water on a fire, right, that's admirable suddenly. It's like, wow, she, she wants to do whatever she can, Right? So sometimes expectations play a role in the extent, right? In the But now if you're a 21-year-old firefighter and you're throwing a cup of water on the fire, you're not going to be admired, right? You, you're going to be, you know, get out of the way, guy. You're, you're taking up space where somebody who's really fighting the fire needs to be. Get away from here. Um, so sometimes expectations feed into, right, the extent to which we should do something, um, you know, people's expectations vary from person to person. Mm-hmm. Um, what I expect of someone what you expect of someone may be completely different. Uh, in fact, um, your expectations of yourself vary from what other people expect of you. And, and it's all over the map. And so this morning, I don't, I'm not really interested in people's expectations. That's not the basis for this, this discussion. It's really God's expectations. Um, when we think about the extent... To which we do something. Or doing something to the fullest extent. What really matters is what God's expectations are about that extent. Not what somebody next to you thinks. And really not even what you think. It's what God's expectations are. Um, And so that's why I want to look at these, these examples in the Bible and see a good example and a bad example of doing something to the fullest extent based on God's expectations. Uh, In 2 Kings chapter 4, um, I think we have an example of, a good example of of doing (laughs) something to the right extent, right? To the fullest extent. Um, I'll just say the stories of Elijah and Elisha are really like nothing else in the Bible. Um, I don't read anywhere else things that that God did through them uh, that just fascinate me, right? And just seems so, it, it's presented as like an everyday occurrence. And this is one of those things. Elisha's just so matter-of-fact, right? About something that just, just blows your mind. Uh, so Second Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, "'Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves.' Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you, you and your sons. And pour out into all the vessels, and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they were bringing the vessels to her as she poured When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. The extent to which this woman and her sons went and borrowed vessels is the extent to which she was blessed. Um, now he he did say, "Do not get a few." Right. So he gave her a hint that hey, you don't want to skimp on this. Don't shortchange yourself because what's about to happen? This is you need a lot of vessels. Go borrow. Is he didn't even say bring all the empty vessels in your house together. He said you need to go. You're gonna have to go borrow. You're gonna have to go get as many empty vessels really as you can get your hands on. Right? Now, when did the oil stop? It stopped when. There were no more vessels to fill. And that's one of the things I found interesting. When she's still asking, she says, bring me another vessel. And her son says, there's not a single one left. The text says the oil stopped at that point. And that's why I say the blessing that she received was commensurate. It was tied to, it was related to, the effort she and her sons had put into borrowing vessels in the first place. If they had gone to one neighbor and borrowed one vessel, the oil would have stopped when that vessel was full. I'm convinced of that, based on what we read here. So you see, his command was not, I'm going to call it uh, kind of subjective. He says, Do not get a few. So, you know, for one person, do not get a few, maybe, okay, I'll get four, because a few is three. Or, you know, I'll, I'll just get whatever I can get from my neighbors who are immediately next to me. Right? But, you know, if she brought in 100 vessels, then she got 100 vessels worth of oil. If she brought in 15, we don't know how many she brought in. It doesn't tell us, and we don't need to know that. The principle is when he said, Do not get a few, whatever she brought in was what she got. And and we know it had to be a great deal because apparently it was enough to sell, pay the creditor who was going to take her sons as slaves, and enough for them to continue living on after that. So I say this is a good example of hearing something from God, right? Do not get a few and going to the fullest extent. Getting everything she can. It would seem that she brought in as many vessels as they could find, and her son said, there's, no, there's not a single vessel left. Also in Second Kings, I want to show a bad example of this. Chapter 13. And it's again, Elisha, near the end of his life, in fact, beginning in verse 14, we're told that he is, he's, he becomes sick with the illness that will kill him. And beginning in verse 14 of 2 Kings 13, we read, When Elisha became sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him, and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the window toward the east. And he opened it. And then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Aram, for you will defeat the Arameans at Aphek until you have destroyed them. Then he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. So the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you would have destroyed it. But now you shall strike Aram only three times. In defense of the king of Israel, this time Elisha didn't say, do not strike it a few times, or only a few times, right? He didn't give any indication of the number. But similarly, he didn't give a specific number. Just like he didn't tell the woman, you need to bring in 100 barrels. You need to bring in, you know, so many hen, right? That's how they measured oil, was hens of oil. He didn't tell her that. He said, get a lot. Um, he didn't actually give the king of Israel here any indication of how many times to strike. He just said strike the ground. If it had been me, I, and I can tell you honestly with a straight face right in front of you, I would have struck it one time. <laughs> and then he would have been really mad, right? Because then he would have said, well, you're only going to strike Aaron once. I, that, that's just who I am, right? That's, I wouldn't have thought about it. I would have just took the arrows. I'd have looked at him like He's crazy. And then I would have hit the ground, and I'd have been like, okay, I hit the ground. right? Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to knock Joash here for what he was doing. I, he did more than I would have done. And even leading up to that, did you notice how the text says, and Elisha said this, and he did it. And Elisha said this, and he did it. Every little step, he says, open the window, and it says, and he did it. Take the bow, it says, and he took the bow. Now shoot an arrow, and he shoots an arrow. I mean, every, all the way, Right. He's doing what, what Elisha says. And then when it comes to striking the ground, Elisha gets mad and says, No. You should have struck it five or six times. I, I and I'm going to read into this, I'm not going to say that this is necessarily in the text. But I think maybe Elisha's saying, You should have made me stop you. You should have just been hitting that ground with those arrows until I just made you stop. It seems to be the indication, right? You didn't do it enough. You didn't do it to the fullest extent. And so now you're not going to destroy Aram to the fullest extent. His blessing, again, just like the widow, his blessing was directly related to the extent of his obedience. He was worried about Israel and its horsemen, right? The chariots of Israel. What's going to happen to us in this war? Well, he got a blessing, but it was a blessing to the extent of his obedience. <coughs> you know, we have some New Testament examples you can turn over there if you want. I'm not going to read all of them, but I want to focus on Peter. Um, there are a few times in Peter's life where he either um, did this well or, or not so well. In Matthew chapter 18, um, verses 21 and 22, Peter also wants a number, right? We see a number that's not given to the widow. There's not a number given to the king of Israel. But Peter uh, wants an objective measure of when he's forgiven enough. right? And, you know, I have heard it said that the, yeah. um, the sort of acceptable Jewish forgiveness was three times in a day. Right, The Pharisees would probably be the ones who said that. If, if you forgive someone three times in a day, you're a good Pharisee, or you're a good Jew, or you're... And so maybe, you know, I've heard people say, maybe Peter's trying to one-up them and say, well, I'm walking with the Son of God, so I've got to do more than three. So he asked Jesus seven. That's supposition. We don't know. But seven times in one day to forgive one person of something, it seems like a lot. I mean, assuming you sleep for eight hours, you're only awake for 16 it's like every two hours, this person's coming back to you and sinning against you, and you're forgiving them. That's how it works out. So yeah, it seems like Peter's saying, man, I'm, I'm super Peter, or whatever. Right? Must we forgive seven times? Jesus' answer really isn't even a number. He gives a number answer, but it's, it's just ludicrous to think you'd have to forgive someone 490 times in the same day. And then the next day, and, you know, but that four hundred ninety-first time, boy, you can have Adam. Right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying there is no limit. You need to forgive to the fullest extent. Whatever is within you, you have to tap that and forgive again. The next time, the counter doesn't reset. Right. Um. Peter wants an objective measure of when he's done enough. Jesus' answer really says there isn't enough you can do. Really. The expectation is you do it to the fullest extent. Um, Also in John chapter 13 I think we have a good sort of good and bad example of Peter uh, wanting to do something to a full extent, um, He's sort of rebuked for it—not really rebuked, but corrected. I think. In John 13, I think many of you know that John 13 is uh, the account of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. In verses um, eight and nine, you know, well, leading up to this, Peter said, "No, no, 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 you don't wash my feet. I wash. You know, I wash your feet. That's kind of how this master-disciple thing works. You don't wash our feet." And Jesus says to Peter, well, you know, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And so you remember Peter's response, again, it's in John 13, 8 and 9. You know, Peter says, well, then wash everything, wash my head and wash my hand, wash, wash my whole body, right? So you, you could look at that and say, okay, Peter sort of got this, this teaching about extent, right? And I don't think really Peter needed to be taught about extent. He was always going kind of full bore, right? That's just who he was. Jesus kind of had to direct it sometimes. And I think this is one of those, Jesus says, no, that's not necessary. Just your feet. And I think there's an important teaching there where sometimes our fullest extent in our mind goes beyond what God wants. We have to be careful. You see, Jesus didn't say, let me wash you, he said, let me wash your feet. He put a boundary on what was going to happen. And Peter wanted to go past that boundary. Now I think Jesus probably respected that because he didn't jump all over him and say, get behind me Satan like he did before, right? (laughs) Get behind me Satan, I'm only going to wash your feet. You You know, He he didn't do that. He was very gentle with Peter in this instance. And I, I think that gives us an indication that Jesus knew what was going on in Peter's heart. He loves me. And he wants to do what... I tell him to do. He wants to be part of me. But we have to be careful. I think it gives us an indication. We have to be careful that when we get zealous about something and we say, well, God said this, then I'm going to take it here. That we're not actually going beyond the boundaries he has set. And maybe you're thinking of this example, but Moses with the rock. The first time he was told to strike the rock and he struck it. The second time he was told to speak to the rock. And he struck it. And it cost him Canaan. He did not enter the land because of that right there. So we have to be careful. We want to go to the fullest extent, but we need to stop at the beginning and say, okay, what is God exactly wanting from me? And then once I figure out what he wants and where the boundaries are, I'm going to do it all the way. I'm going to go all the way with it. I'm going I'm to hit the ground with those arrows until Elisha gets off of that couch and he jumps on me, right? And he stops me, right? That, that's because he didn't tell me how many times. So I'm going I'm to do it. But I'm not going to strike the wall with the arrows. I'm not going to do that. So we do need to pay attention to the details, but we need to have zeal to do it to the fullest extent. The last thing I want to say about Peter is in John 21... and I am going to read this one because I just love this account Um, John 21 beginning in verse 4 Uh, Peter and some of the disciples are out fishing verse 4 but when the day was now breaking Jesus stood on the beach this is John 21 4 yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus so Jesus said to them children you do not have any fish do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. I don't know about the whole casting himself into the sea business, that you know that was necessary. John even points out while the rest of us came in the boat. (laughs) You know, we didn't feel the need because we were only 100 yards away. You know, it's like, but that's Peter. And then you see it again. Jesus gives this subjective kind of command, right? Bring some of the fish. And how many does he bring? We're even told the number. He brought 153 of them, right? Basically, everything he could get up there in the net, he drug it up to the fire. And he's like, here's some of the fish, <laughs> right? Again, I, I think, you know, those of us who have kind of read about Peter and under, understand that Peter, that's Peter's personality too. But I think it's something we can develop in, our, in ourselves. The desire to say, what does Jesus want? He wants some fish? All right, I'm going to do everything I can with all the fish I have to get him some fish. And then he can decide if he wants one or 153. Now, if Jesus said, bring four fish, I believe Peter would have brought four fish. Especially by John 21, Peter's learned a lot to kind of subject himself and and, and bring his zeal under control. So what about us? I'm just going to point out three short examples. Because... This is a principle we're talking about here. We're not talking about a specific sin or a specific command. Right? We're talking about a principle that we see in Scripture, God issuing some command and those who are faithful either following it to the fullest extent or not, and shortchanging themselves. Right? So we can't talk about every single command and responsibility we have as individuals. But I'm going to point out just three because God made them really plain in the New Testament the first one is in 1 Corinthians 6 16 through 20 this is a really plain statement and teaching Um, he's talking about our body being purchased by God and it belongs to him and not us and we can't just do what we want to do with it and specifically about sexual sins here. Sexual immorality. So in ver- beginning in verse 16 it says, Or do you not know that one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. And that word that's sometimes translated immorality in this instance really is sexual immorality. It's not general sin he's not saying flee sin he really is saying flee sexual immorality and here's another reason why it makes sense even in the English after it's been translated every other sin that a man commits is outside the body but the immoral man sins against his own body or do you not know that your temple your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you who you have from God and that you are not your own you have been bought with a price therefore glorify your God in the body Okay, so the the really easy statement is flee. And he doesn't give us a number. And he doesn't give us a measure. So the question you have to ask yourself, right? And again, I'm using this as just an example because it's easy. To what extent are you fleeing? Sexual immorality. And only you can answer that. God can answer it for you, but no one else can answer it for you. Are you fleeing, did you flee three times? And now you say, oh, that's done, or like maybe Peter. I fled seven times in one day, but the eighth time is too much. I'm not going to flee eight times in one day. Well, you better, I would say. Um, so, you know, this is an example where you could sit down with yourself and say, all right. What has God said about sexual immorality? Not just here, but what has He said about it? What has He taught about it? Am I flirting with it? I'm not, I'm not fully given over to it. I'm not, I'm not engaging in this openly and flaunting it, but I'm flirting with it. Is that fleeing? It's not fleeing. I mean, fleeing is like, it's over here, my back is this way, and I'm running. I'm not even walking, Right? I mean, no one thinks of fleeing as walking. When you see someone walking, you don't say, oh, that person's fleeing. I mean, they're like screaming and throwing stuff and yelling and running, right? I mean, that's fleeing. It's like, I'm trying to get away from this. Somebody help me, right? Maybe they're even calling for help. There's another indication of fleeing, right? Are you calling for help? To what extent are you calling for help? That's really the question we're trying to consider today is the extent is it is it just yeah, I'm just gonna kinda ignore it, but I'm not gonna flee it. I'm gonna let it sit here in my house, I'm gonna let it talk to me, I'm not but I'm not gonna flee it. It's not fleeing. Okay, so another example. First Timothy six, seventeen through nineteen. Another really plain statement. Paul writes to Timothy and, and instructs him to give these instructions to the church. First Timothy six, seventeen through 19 He says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Okay. Plain as day, right? Verse 18. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. I mean, the English is plain, right? The statements are plain. But it's all subjective. There's no measure that says, be generous three times in a day. There's no measure that says, be generous as long as you still have your cable. There's no thing that says, be generous with your disposable income, but don't be generous with your time. Right? Some people are not rich in money, but they're rich in time. Some people are not rich in money and not rich in time, right? They're, they're, they're working just to get bread on the table, right? He's talking about people who are rich. You've got something, something to spare. Energy, time, money, whatever it is, right? To what extent... And no one, again, no one can answer this except you and God. To what extent are you being generous with that thing that you're rich in? To what extent? Are you, are you just sort of saying, well, I'm, I'm stopping here just because I feel like I've been generous enough. Right? Kind of like Peter. Seven times is enough. Or are you saying, I've got to find more ways to be generous? You're looking like, okay, I had this 15 minutes. How could I have used this 15 minutes to help somebody who didn't have that 15 minutes? What, what could I have done? Right. Not, not to like feel bad, but say, this is what I'm going to do the next time. I'm going to plan a 15-minute thing so that when I have 15 minutes, I've, I, I know exactly how I'm going to use it. Being generous, right, isn't something that just happens to you. If it was, there would be no, Paul would never say, instruct. Teach people to do it, right? It takes work, it takes effort. All right, the last one I want to look at is in Ephesians 4. It's just one verse. And it's similar to the one we just talked about. Actually, it's, you might say it's sort of on the other end of the spectrum, but it really is, I think, the same thing. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 28. In the midst of talking about you know laying off these sins and things, uh, verse 28 says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Okay, so again, the question we have to ask ourselves is, all right, well, to what extent do I work with my hands? Well, to share with someone who's in need. That's the extent, right? So it goes goes sort of beyond saying, well, you know, I only have to work 20 hours in a week to really get sufficient nutrition in my body. So that's where I'm going to stop, and I'm going to let the rest of these people figure out how to do the same thing. He says work with your hands so that you actually can give to somebody who's in need, right? Who doesn't have that blessing that you have where they can only work 20 hours in a week and get sufficient nutrition in their body. They might be working 16 hours in a day to get sufficient nutrition in their body. Right, but you have this opportunity. to Say, well, you know, I, I could actually work thirty hours, or I could work forty. You, you know, whatever it is, I'm I'm just picking an example from this little, this little verse, right? And and he's again, I'm, I took it out of context. He's talking to thieves, but the principle is the same, right? Why are we working? Why do I want to work fifty hours in a week? Let's go the other way. Is it for me? Or is it because I know there's somebody who needs it? I mean, I'll cop to that one. It's usually for me. But you have to ask that question of yourself. Are you exerting yourself to the fullest extent, saying, I'm doing what I can do, and the purpose isn't so that I can keep my cable or expand my cable or what? right? That's kind of a self-centered thing not that having cable is self-centered but I'm saying when you take the extent further than where it is is it about serving yourself or is it about serving other people right if we look back at the examples that Elijah had right and what we see happening here in in these teachings in the New Testament it really seems like it should be directed toward other people right and foundationally it's got to be directed toward God God wants this, so I'm going to give everything I have in this to him. And I might not be doing it right, I might not be doing it perfectly, but this is what I know. And I'm going to learn how to do it better in the future. So like I said, those were just three examples, okay? You may struggle with something else that you're not doing to the fullest extent. And and I, I would venture to say every human being has to, or we'd be perfect, okay? There's something you can do to a further extent there are many things I can do to a further extent I guarantee it so you need to sit down with the word and determine for yourself what can you do to a further extent whether it's fleeing or anything right Um, you know my expectations of you have absolutely no bearing in this matter your expectations of yourself have absolutely no bearing in this matter and that's the harder one right in this day and age we really don't care what other people expect of us already <laughs> i'll just state it plainly but your expectations of you don't matter either god's expectations of you are what matters and you have to figure out what those are i, I can't even tell you right you have to figure out what those are and do it to the fullest extent and be excited about it. Jump off the boat just like Peter did and just go, man, right? Um, You know, ultimately you need to examine yourself as whether you are a Christian, right? Whether you are living before God in a forgiven state, the examination that has to happen before any other examination. Because again, like expectations, it doesn't matter if other people call you Christian or if you call yourself a Christian. What matters is if God calls you a Christian. If God looks down and says, that right there is my child and I'm bringing him or her home. The only other person who knows the answer to that question is you. So examine yourself now Robin is going to lead us in a song. Um, It's an opportunity to um, speak to someone here if there's something that you need help with doing to a further extent, if there's something you need help with in examining yourselves. And it doesn't have to be during the song. After the song, talk to someone here. Um, Just let us know if there are things that you're struggling with And we may be having the same struggle, and we can help you get through that. Um, So anyway, if you you would, let's stand and sing as, as Robin leads us.